Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, step right up. Step right up because in this episode, we're going to highlight the amazing, the incredible, the vibrating belt for your bones. That's right. Simply wear this contraption three or four times a week for healthier, stronger bones. All right, I'm not trying to make light of this, but it is a real thing. The FDA approved the amazing vibrating belt on January the 18th, 2024. Now, I I don't want to minimize this, and I'm definitely not making fun of it. Well, kind of. But I'm just getting to the heart of this issue, which has nothing to do with the heart. It has to do with the bones. But the FDA truly did pass on January the 18th a vibration belt to help with osteopenia. Now, we're going to dive into this data and why it's a little, we, we need to take a lot of caution here before you write for this medical device called the vibration belt. I am not making this up. All right, on January the 18th, FDA approved the vibrating belt for osteopenia. We're going to get into all of the data and why when you take a look at the actual study, which was one study, and take a look at the results critically with intent to treat purpose, it's kind of confusing why the FDA passed this. Now, to be very clear, I've done a lot of FDA trials for medical devices in my past, and it is a bear. It is difficult. It wants so much data, and it's hard to get new medications with great data through and great medical devices that are, you know, life-saving and have impact on quality of life. It's super hard to get some things through historically. But then comes the OsteoBoost Vibration Belt. Um, Again, please don't email me any ugly emails if you work for Bone Health Technologies. I'm all for innovation 100%. This podcast, this, this whole purpose, this whole platform, the whole purpose we do this is for innovation in medical education. So I am not against innovation, but I am also not against great data. <laughs> we have to have great data if we're going to endorse something. So my purpose in doing this episode is that if your patient comes up to you and says, I want the amazing, the incredible, the one and only vibrating belt to protect my bones, you don't look at them sideways. Okay, this is called the Osteo Boost Vibration Belt. Let's dissect it right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, podcast family, we're about to jump right into this kind of fascinating whole FDA clearance uh, procedure and protocol here and what's happened with this medical device just since December of 2020. It really is super fascinating and a little weird at the same time, all right? But um, just a quick clarification, of course, is that when we say FDA approved, 
approval. It has to go through phase one, two, and three. We've talked about this many times in the past. It's a formal, uh, very rigid approval process. To be clear, this device was not FDA approved. Because I said that earlier, it was cleared. It's an FDA clearance device. And we've gone through all of this information, what that means in the past, with the at-home insemination kit uh, for intravaginal use. And, and again, that's a separate, that's a clearance product. So there's a difference between FDA cleared and FDA approved. Just wanted to get that on the record. Now let's jump on in. Oh my goodness. I'm so thankful for people who put in years of research and R&D to make life better for people. I mean, that's what we need, right? That's how medicine moves forward. Um, we, we need good data, we need good studies, and we need quality, large clinical trials to move the needle. Um, but recently, the FDA has approved some stuff that you're like, um, w- w- was that really necessary? You're like, why? Like the self-kit um, uh, for the home kit for vaginal insemination uh, out of Austin, Texas. I did an episode on that. Yeah, you can do your own vaginal inseminations now with an FDA-cleared device. Remember, there's FDA-cleared and then FDA-approved, and we covered all of that in that episode. you got to go back and listen to that. But it's interesting because the reason that the pipeline of new uh, oral uh, anti-resorptive agents, right, the, the line of new medications for osteoporosis, have you noticed with all the new medications coming out there and biologics for skin conditions and asthma and Crohn's and rheumatoid, which is fantastic. We need all these things. Um, it's great, but the pipeline for bone medications is actually kind of slowed. It's kind of come to a halt. And some of that has to do with some kind of, you know, ooh, new, new side effects that have kind of popped up, especially with uh, along the longer acting bone agents. But it's kind of stymied the the development of new medications. And there's a reason for that. And we're, we're going to discuss that in this episode. Uh, that's not just by chance. There's a reason why um, the, the lack of new medications for osteoporosis has kind of come to a halt. And it's that the FDA traditionally has been super rigorous uh, in those trial demands. And they have historically needed... Uh, a one endpoint here, which is fracture reduction. Okay, that's what the majority for the FDA when you're talking about osteoporosis medications uh, to prevent osteoporosis. We don't want to just prevent the osteoporosis by itself. We want to reduce the endpoint that osteoporosis gives, which is a fracture, right? A pathological fracture. That's that's what traditionally the primary endpoint from the FDA has been reduction in fractures. And there's this huge move. And there was a whole study uh, funded in part by the NIH to try to use surrogate markers outside of fracture. And the, the most uh, common sense one would be BMD. Let's use that as a regulatory endpoint in studies to get the FDA approval uh, you know, up and going again for new medications. But it, it's super gray. It's super complicated and convoluted. And we're, it's just not there yet. All right. All to say, this is why new medications for osteoporosis—they're still in development. It's just kind of, kind of going slower. Okay, now you take that fact, and then you take a look at OsteoBoost—that's OsteoBoost, the new vibrating belt—and um, it gets it gets its FDA approval 
for not for fracture prevention. I'm going to tell you what the endpoint was. And then you're like, well, wow, really? I mean, that that got approval, but new medications that have uh, probably stronger data did not. What's going on here? Okay, now I'll be very clear. I have no bones to pick, uh, no, <laughs> no, no axe to grind. What other analogy can I use? I don't know. Uh, no bear to poke, whatever. I have nothing against uh, this vibrating belt at all. It's kind of fun to say the vibrating belt. It's made by Bone Health Technologies. And again, no beef with them. I don't know them. Uh, Definitely not a sponsor. Uh, I'm just trying to let you know what's out there. Remember, our purpose in this episode is to let you know what's out in print and up in the market. Super, super uh, uh, recent, right? And this came out again in the middle of last month. So this is super recent. Plus, if a patient, again, asks you about this, hey, what do you think about the vibrating belt for my bones? You don't go, "Um, I'm sorry, what? You go, oh, yeah, I've actually heard about this, the vibrating belt, right, by Bone Health Technologies. Um, Well, here's what I've heard about it, and this is why we're going to go through this, okay? And and this is nothing new. This didn't happen overnight. No, no, this has been going on for a while. Actually, the FDA granted this technology something called breakthrough device designation back in December of 2020, all right? All right, so December 2020, FDA calls this a breakthrough device that gives it its formal designation. That helps get then NIH funding, actually $2 million in funding to help move this study forward, all right? And that's based on initial study results that looked promising, like maybe this could work. It was a small study, showed that one 30-minute treatment with the vibration belt could reduce bone loss activity, quote, among all study participants, providing an average decrease of 14%, which is a reduction on par with bisphosphonate drugs, end quote, all right? So we're going to get into all of this. So that was the initial kind of pilot, and then FDA says, ooh, super innovative, and then the NIH says, hey, this, this looks promising, why not? Let's investigate this more, and chunks in $2 million to see if OsteoBoost um, could be demonstrated to have benefit in a larger study in a broader population. Now let's fast forward to November 30th, 2022. We're getting closer to present day. And now through a press release, not, listen, not a peer-reviewed journal, okay, but through an industry press release, the manufacturer of the belt says, hey, We finished our randomized, double-blind, sham-controlled trial with OsteoBoost from the NIH funding grant money, right? The seed money of $2 million. And, and, And we've got good news, okay? They found, quote, wearing the vibration belt more than three times per week had a decrease in the rate of decline in multiple subcomponents of bone strength, including vertebral bone density, and cortical bone strength as measured through CT scans at one year, end quote, okay? Now, remember, this was put out as a press release at the end of 2022, not a peer-reviewed publication, but fine, at least it got some data, and then move forward a little bit closer to present day, and in October of 2023, So just a year later, in the journal of the Endocrine Society, they publish the abstract of that study, okay? So just to be clear, it's not a uh, a peer-reviewed publication, which is interesting because the FDA typically likes 
peer-reviewed publications. Okay, they'll take some abstracts as supporting evidence, but this was the abstract that was originally presented on June the 16th, 2023, uh, through the Endocrine Society, and then made its way, of course, into the Journal of the Endocrine Society in October 2023. Okay, so I have to be very clear. There's no peer-reviewed publication on this. It was an abstract. It was one study. And then when you break down the results, this is what people and some critics of this are going, wait, what happened? And why did this get cleared by the FDA? So there there are some questions. I'm just walking down the timeline. A lot has happened from December 2020 where the FDA goes, I'll take anything that's not a drug that can help with bone bone health. Why not? It makes sense. Uh, And then we get the, you know, hey, we got a press release. We got some um, some fresh top line data to the abstract being presented just fall, guys, of last year. So we're talking about October 2023 when this comes out into print, uh, though the uh, the actual presentation itself was in the summer of 2023. uh, So that was June 16th. Okay, so presented June 16th and then it comes out as the abstract uh, as a supplement to the Journal of Endocrine Society on October 2023. So a lot of things have moved quickly here, but these things are making kind of headlines or buzzwords. Ooh, a new belt could give you stronger bones. Can it though? Can it? Wait, 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 wait. I I have to stop here because I honestly, I'm not trying to make light of this. I mean, those, I mean, like $2 million uh, from the NIH went into this. I mean, people spent a lot of years doing this. Uh, and I'm all for, for for new innovation and new products and new medication. But I'm also for, for strong data. Guys, this was one RCT that I'm going to show you the data here when you do the intent to treat analysis that's a, a, a little cautionary. Um, and then the FDA said, yeah, we'll, we'll clear that. Um, it's surprising. It really is a little surprising. It's akin to the medication Addy. Okay, A-D-D-Y-I. Remember Addy, right? The female Viagra. Uh, That thing had failed in the FDA like three times. But there was such an outcry, such pressure by patient advocacy groups uh, and and advocates for female sexual health, which I am one, but also want good data that the FDA is like, fine, take it, take it, take your Addy. Uh, And even though the the data was not good, I mean, it was like a one uh, additional satisfying sexual event and or fantasy Uh, like per month compared to placebo. If that's going to rock your world, fantastic. But um, wow. Again, so it had to do with, is it really clinically significant? The answer was no, but Addy got got passed, all right? And I think we had covered that years ago uh, in a podcast when that came out. And that is not uh, the the, the purpose of this episode. But Addy's data, Addy's data is, is not good at all. That's um, phlebanstrin. And again, if you've written for it, I have written for it in an attempt to do something. Um, but yeah, meh, meh. I mean, it's very meh. It's not great. I actually think that uh, off-label, um, well, butrin does much better uh, because you hit uh, several neurochemicals than just phlebanstrin without the, the hypotension uh, effects. But it's very similar to that. When this thing got approved, the vibration belt, I'm like, hmm, it is, vibration belt is to bone health what Ade is to orgasm. Let's just leave it at that. And I'm saying it again, no, don't. If you work for that company with a vibration belt, do not send me any ugly emails. I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to read it. No, I'll read it because I'm too type A not to read it. I'm just, I'm just, look, you make your own decision. And I please, this is not to dissuade anybody from writing for the vibration belt. 
Not at all. Knock yourself out. Remember, our old adage here is, can it hurt? No, uh, at all. The question is, can it help? Hmm. And that's where the data is like, um, yeah, if you take a look at the per protocol data and not the intent to treat data. And I'm going to explain that in this episode, which is wild why the FDA did this. I just want to make sure that if I write for this, patient knows that the data limitations that have not been peer reviewed yet. It's been in an abstract. And guys, I've got plenty of abstracts in print. I'm not knocking that. I work hard for my abstracts. Yeah, um, but ideally, we try to turn those abstracts in into peer review publications. So yeah, I, I've got plenty of of published abstracts in print. And I'm proud of those. We work hard for those. Uh, and, and, and they're valid. Uh, anybody's abstract is valid. But there's a difference from an abstract and going through a formal peer review process. Plus, I didn't use an abstract to try to get a product cleared through the FDA uh, process. That's a different issue, okay? So I'm just trying to lay it out there. I just want to make sure that I'm not trying to sell something that sounds that just kind of when I'm done, I'm like, did I do something great that I really try to benefit the patient here or not? Because I don't want to be misguiding somebody that it's some kind of wonder potion. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Gather around. Come on, gather around. Step right up. Step right up. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, gather around. Let me tell you all about the Mac and Jack Wonder Potion, guaranteed to give you unbelievable power. Yes, my friends, it can give you the strength of a raging bull. Oh, I just know I'm going to irritate somebody with this. I just know it. I just know it. Let's cover the data next. brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energized be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com that's o-l-l-y.com these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't know if you all remember that song in the 80s. It was Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, Say, Say, Say. I mean, just what talent, both of them. Two legends uh, coming together for Say, Say, Say. Eh, just a different time. Um, no, it was not an adult in the 80s. Thank you. Uh, I was a kid. Uh, but I, I just remember, I just such an impression. Just 
how these people could sing and they just both of them and just ah just remarkable uh, I, I think it was like 12 to be honest Oof, have i said too much about my age all right let's keep going so acog does have a, a nice uh review on osteoporosis which is clinical practice guidance number one from September 2021, and it just reminds us, of course, that, you know, true osteoporosis, osteoporotic fracture, uh, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it it just causes a lot of morbidity, um, a lot of of secondary um, complications, and it's real. And remember that in general, the the main way to to diagnose osteoporosis is with the T-score, right? So we use the T-score, not the Z-score. Z-score is, is if you're really uh, off on your T-score, you have to see if it's if it's a pathological condition that's something that uh, is more at play than just age alone, right? So it is the T-score. Everybody gets that. That's nothing new, typically from a DEXA scan. Everybody gets that. And we're not going to get into too much of the details because we, we, we understand that that the dual energy x-ray absorbitry or DEXA, which measures the BMD, gives you the T-score, which is the basis for diagnosing osteoporosis. Now, remember this device, the amazing, incredible vibrating belt, is not for osteoporosis. So I don't want to mislead anyone. This is for osteopenia to try to prevent the progression to osteoporosis, which is a T-score between minus 1.0 and minus 2.5 on DEXA. Remember that osteoporosis is a T-score greater than, or or in other words, less than, uh, minus 2.5, okay, or less. So minus 2.6, minus 2.0, minus 3, whatever. So between minus 1 and minus 2.5 is osteopenia. And then a T-score of minus 2.5 or less is osteoporosis. So let's get back to this data for this device, okay? And if I said that the FDA approved it, uh, it's supposed to be cleared, okay? Because approval is a different issue, right? You need phase 1, phase 2, phase 3. So it is the clearance pathway, FDA cleared, all right? As the press release and the abstract states, quote, the OsteoBoost Vibration Belt by Bone Health Technologies is a device that delivers a targeted, calibrated vibration to the lumbar spine and hips. They go on to say, the device has been indicated to reduce bone strength and density declines for postmenopausal women, okay? So this is not for premenopause, not for osteoporosis, wasn't officially FDA approved to the approval pathway. It's a clearance issue, okay? The vibration belt's clearance was based on data from a double-blind sham control study. So let's be very clear. Right at the beginning, you're like, oh, double-blind, that's great. That is the, um, the, the peak of a scientific design. Absolutely correct. However, while the design of the study is randomized you try to control bias if you don't interpret the results correctly guys it's the analysis of that data through a great design where things can can fall apart and that may be the issue here because uh, we're going to get to it but let me just set the stage here when you do it in rct looking for causation or success of an intervention you you can do it you can look at the data two ways the per protocol results which are those that actually completed the therapy uh, and then see basically a simple percentage of what happened, right? Did it work or did it not work? But when you do an intent to treat, which is once they're randomized, they stay randomized no matter what happens to them. And those who fall out 
of the trial, either because they uh, self-withdraw or let's say they die or whatever, those who, who come out of a trial uh, are considered a failure. Okay, the intent to treat is meant to limit biases in the in the data evaluation. It it levels the playing field. All right. So if something truly works as an intervention, whether that's a device or medication, you're going to see the result, the efficacy in the per protocol group, as well as the intent to treat group. And that's where things fell apart here, which is interesting that the FDA cleared it. Now, remember, clearance is different than approval. Approval, you've got to show that both camps are, are, are working here, talking the same language. It's got to work in the per protocol, and the data has to show efficacy in the intent to treat. However, in the clearance, they're like, meh, hey, can't hurt. Um, the question is, can it really help? All right, so the standards are different in clearance and in an approval process. They are very different. And this is where things get a little gray. And it's not my opinion. There's already been commentaries on this that have said um, this data. But if you take a look at the in the intent to treat, uh, it's it, it didn't work. So let, let's explain here. Let me tell you the results according to the abstract, and then we'll dissect it a little further. In this double-blind sham controlled study, the primary outcome of the study was change in vertebral strength, and that wasn't by you know physically measuring the strength. It was using surrogate markers uh, determined radiologically. All right, that was done by CT scan at one year, one year after using this thing. All right, and the surrogate markers included things like bone mineral density uh, and then cortical bone strength. Uh, all of these were radiological studies. Uh, that was a surrogate, again, that the FDA, it's so rigid, but they're like, all right, for a clearance, we'll let it go, that this really is a new novel um, surrogate marker that really hasn't been done to this degree, okay? So CT scan at one year, and here's what they found. Women who use the vibration belt three times per week, three times per week, lost 0.48% of their bone strength compared with bone strength decline of 2.8 in the sham group. That p-value is is 0.014, okay? So statistically significant. You're like, oh, all right, three times a week. Let, let's do it. 0.48 compared to 2.84. So why is that bad? Well, it's not bad, but hold on. Let, let's get into that in a minute. The sham group also had a 1.68% greater decline in vertebral bone density compared with women using the vibration belt. And yes, that difference, that p-value was statistically significant at 0.008. Now, the good news is it can't hurt. I mean, there was no serious adverse events. Vibration belt, my goodness. Just, you know, weird other thoughts come to mind. Yes, there's a variety of vibration little tools for other devices, other indications. Hello. Um, but for bone health, mm, I don't know, applied in the correct place could be super satisfying for sexual release. <laughs> but for bone health, um, what's the what is the the patho uh, physiology there? How does vibration does that help stimulate osteoblast activity? I mean, that, that, that's the question. Okay, so so hold on here. Now we know that. There are some things, obviously outside of medication, that help with bone health. But that's typically resistance weight-bearing exercise because that force on the bone, that micro uh, uh, pressure on the bone can help, can help stimulate uh, bone activity. So the thought is, hey, 
if that kind of forced resistance training helps bone health, maybe this vibration can kind of shock the bone into making more osteoblast activity. That's the thought, all right? So I get it. I mean, it kind of makes some loose connections. It makes sense. That's why physical activity is a great lifestyle modification to prevent osteoporosis. If somebody has osteopenia in your patient population or your family, they got to get up and move. They got to do resistance, uh, uh, muscle, uh, weight-bearing exercise. That's how you build bone. Sitting and laptop and looking at, you know, reels all day, which, guilty, uh, (laughs) when I'm not seeing patients, uh, (laughs) <laughs> what a waste of time that stuff is. I mean, my goodness, I, I literally made a pact with myself. I've got to stop watching that stuff. Some of those things are hilarious, and it's a great you know, kind of distraction for me. But boy, I mean, it was one night, like I couldn't sleep. I was on call, and it was like 3 in the morning, and I'm you know, just flipping stuff. Stupid little reels. Um, and then it's like an hour and a half later, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've disgusted myself. Because I, <laughs> I could have totally been asleep. What is the purpose of this? Oh, yeah. Sitting and watching reels is a great way to lose bones, all right? Especially if you're postmenopausal. They got to get up. Get up. Start moving. That is the proven lifestyle modification. Wearing a belt three times a week does not hurt. We know that. Those no serious adverse events. And this data, if you take a look at these results, it looks like it could possibly help until you take a look at the intent to treat group, all right? Let's do that next. If you're wondering what kind of frequency are we talking about here that stimulates the bones to apparently prevent bone loss, okay? Uh, Well, that is low amplitude, high frequency vibration to the spine and the hips. That is at 20 to 40 hertz. They should have done a sub-analysis of this. Like, how many of these women, because you're vibrating the hips a little bit, right, um, got secondary, you know, excitation? I wonder. Hmm. That would be a... Maybe an additional plus. Oh, and don't be upset that I said that. I've said many times before, and you know that I believe that sexual health, sexual expression is super important. I think uh, proper intimacy when it's, uh, of course, voluntary and desired and not an abusive uh, context. Uh, I, I think that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I'm super in favor of both uh, women's self-exploration. They need to be comfortable with their body. Everybody should. Uh, and yeah, not if, whether that includes vibration uh, devices or manual stimulation, whatever. Hey, as part of women's health, if we if you're not comfortable hearing that or saying that, and eh, that's women's health is the wrong uh, thing for you because we should be able to discuss this in a healthy, productive, mature, uh, and open way. Uh, okay, I think I'm done with that. Again, totally deviating from where I'm going. They'll likely edit that out. All right. So in this one-year randomized sham control study that used CT identification of what how the bones looked, and remember, they used this thing uh, for about 30 minutes per session, all right? And now in this study, remember, the other one was like, you know, a few times a week, but in this study, they, they were wearing the belt five days per week for 30 minutes. Okay, so, so there it is. It was 126 postmenopausal women with osteopenia, quote, wearing the belt for five days per week for 30 minutes per session, end quote. Um, I'm, I'm looking, I mean, I'm reading. I'm like, is that right? It's wow. Hey, if you got 30 minutes a day to put on the belt, fantastic. And again, take a look at those initial results, but those results were per protocol. Those that were treated, not intent to treat. Those that 
once randomized and then fall out and you count them as failures to try to eliminate bias in the in the analysis, look what happens. If you take a look at the intent-to-treat analysis, at the primary uh, outcome here, there's actually no difference between the active intervention group, the belt wears, and the sham group, okay? None. But if you take a look at the post-per-protocol analysis, that's called a post-talk evaluation, so playing with some of the numbers, that included only 50% of the subjects that had the intervention, that's where you had a significant advantage of the intervention in a single age range, which is between 50 and 60. Guys, here's what I'm trying to say. Look, I am not trying to throw this under the bus at all. At all. I'm just saying, look at this critically. So when somebody tells you, oh, this thing worked, well, wow, what did it? Really? That's amazing. Tell me about it. Oh, p-values were there. Okay, well, was that per protocol or intent to treat? I don't know. Well, take a look at the data. And it's, it's not hard, guys. It's, it's right there in the numbers. It's got to know how to interpret the data. The PER protocol shows a result. The intent to treat, no difference. Remember, randomized trials, the, the, the FDA for an approval, this was clearance, typically needs to have the effect seen in the PER protocol and the intent to treat cohorts, all right? Um, but the reason they say that they had this reduction is in that a very select subpopulation in the PER protocol analysis that included only 50% of those patients in the patients who are 50 to 60, it might could. It might could help. I posted that the other day. That's Texas slang. It might could. Right? And my wife says that all the time. Drives me insane. Two master's degrees, this woman. Two master's degrees. Master's in uh, healthcare administration. Uh, licensed master's social worker. Clinical social worker. And she's a therapist. Uh, and I get might could. So that's what the data is, guys. I'm telling you. And it, again, I'm not the first one to to you know, kind of make this criticism in, in these uh, last two weeks. There's a great kind of review of this uh, that was posted also on Helio.com uh, that kind of has an editorial like, wow, okay, I mean, fine. And, and my whole point, again, in doing this is not to bash anything. I am not. That is not the intent. Though it may sound that way to you. I'm not. That's not the intent. But the purpose is that if a patient asks you, you know it. And before you go, well, that's fantastic. You go, look, very select. If you really want to probably protect your bones, calcium intake at the CDC recommended level. Vitamin D. Stop medications or adjust medications that could be uh, bone hurting, including some anti-epilepsy medications, chronic steroid use. uh, And get up and start moving. Get, Get moving and start walking. Because that's how to do it. And then maybe you might could consider this or a pharmacological agents based on family history and other risk factors. That's all I'm trying to say is to think about this critically. We're scientists, for heaven's sakes. And if you take a look at the data, man, just, just a little kind of sketch. I'm looking on one of these medical alert websites and it says, quote, Osteoboost has received FDA approval, but it is not yet available for immediate purchase. If you're interested in purchasing the Osteoboost belt, you can add your details to the company's notification list to receive updates on its availability, end quote. Now, it is, again, here's the catch here. It is a prescription-only treatment. Wow. So, I mean, see that, and that's, I mean, obviously this is by prescription. I mean, that thing's going to work, right? I mean, I need a script for that. Um, May I remind you of Addy? Okay, let's start bringing this home.
podcast family, if you're interested in looking at uh, this information about intent to treat and per protocol analysis, fantastic review article that came out of California, uh, the title of which is Understanding the Intent to Treat Principle in Randomized Controlled Trials. The lead author is Eric McCoy. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic read. Uh, this came out in October of 2017 in the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. It is phenomenal. I mean, it just it gives great examples of why understanding uh, how to interpret a randomized controlled trial. So everyone here is an RCT. That's level one. Fantastic. No, that's a fantastic design. How is the data interpreted is something else. That's something completely different. Uh, and of course, I'll post this reference on our reference page. I've also received a lot of questions. Of where, where's your references? Man, I keep on putting that thing on Instagram. I told you. Join me on Instagram because that's where I post that periodically. Of course, the Facebook page is still up. Although I, I've got to kill that because it's just one more thing that we got to, you know, uh, we got to moderate, we got to keep up with, we got to look at, we got to respond to. But anyway, for now, it's still there, although it is going to be going away, I promise. Um, so anyway, there's a great review, Understanding the Intent to Treat Principle in Randomized Control Trials, and I'll post that reference in our reference list. Sorry, guys, there's that bronchitis again. All right. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. Watch out for the amazing, the incredible the vibrating belt. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.